welcome to the National Orange League Podcast. I'm Alex Cunningham. Chris and I didn't record an intro this week, so I will briefly introduce our guest, Perry Oosterly. Among his many accomplishments, Perry was the last man standing in his home country of the Netherlands. He's also been on versions of the show in Vietnam, Indonesia, and America, where he competed in USA vs. the World. And, of course, he's been on the original version, Sasuke, in Japan. So if there's anything you ever wanted to know about the sport of ninja and its growth, Perry's the man to know, and we certainly grilled him on the subject, don't worry. Perhaps more relevant to our discussion, Perry has been in all three National Ninja League World Championships, and he's even flown over for the occasional qualifier. It's a really fun interview, I hope you enjoy, and I will send the program over to Chris and myself in the past. So welcome, Perry. Perry, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thanks. How are you guys? Pretty good, pretty good. We're pretty stoked to have you on. You are a, our first international uh, person on the on the podcast. Uh, many, hopefully. Yes. Um, give us a little insight into what uh, what Ninja is developing like uh, overseas, because I feel like you know we kind of know how it is in the U.S. We see the TV show, uh, we see the National Ninja League, we we know what's happening here. Uh, what type of stuff is happening over in Europe and other places in the world? It is going insane. It is growing rapidly, seriously. From 2014, it started getting to Europe. And from there on out, you know, so many, so many countries in Europe have been, you know, uh, getting Ninja Warrior as a TV show. And also the Middle East. Uh, it's been growing in Asia and Australia. And I mean... I think 2018, but especially 2019, are going to be so interesting on what new countries are coming for sure. So it's clearly um, clearly picking up over there. But you know, you still come to the to the U.S. for for uh, NNL qualifiers and NNL finals. What first drew you over here to you know come be a part of the uh, you know the National Ninja League that first season? Oh, I remember this the first season. I, I I asked you personally, could I compete on a National Ninja League qualifier round? And you said yes. So I flew to New Jersey uh, and I competed with the best of the best from America. I, I, I happened to qualify myself, which I was very surprised by. I think you were too, Chris. I was definitely surprised. I mean, I mean, I knew that you had some talent, but I mean, we, we've been doing it for quite a bit over here in the U.S., so you have some, uh, some veterans to compete against, and you held your own. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and uh, uh, a few weeks, I think a few months later, I flew to New Jersey again for the NNL Finals, and I think I was the first and only international competitor as a finalist. I believe you were the only one, yes. Because wow. we introduced the well, international qualifier in season two, so we got a lot in season two and three, but we hadn't started that in the first season. So you were the first and only in season one. And now we're talking. But to to stay on point on season one, I thought it was an amazing experience, and from that experience uh, competing on the NNL finals, I thought to myself, you know what? In season two, there should be more internationals going, and. That's when I started talking with you, Chris, to, to develop this international qualifying round to get more internationals going because this sport is growing worldwide. But uh, the, the problem is we can't compete in one show together because in America, it's U.S. citizen only. In Australia, it's the same for the Australians. So 
it's an amazing thing to have the National Ninja League where we can all compete together. It doesn't matter where you come from. Uh, and I really like that part. So that's when we started working on getting a lot of internationals for season two. So obviously, you know a lot of the international ninjas. Um, I know you hung out with us when we were hanging out with the Australian ninjas. Um, I know you talked to Delano out in Barbados. What is your relationship with the international ninja community like? Uh, I don't know where to start, honestly, because every day I talk to a different international, you know, to any ninja around the world. You know, in the morning, I talk to someone from Japan. In the afternoon, I talk to someone from Australia. And in the evening, I talk to someone from America. It's like I keep on uh, talking to everyone because this is like a community, like a family. And I really, I really enjoy being in that family. And I want to keep this family together and keep each other posted on where there's competition or TV show and where we can all, you know, hang out, meet each other, and uh, compete together. So, you know, you have a lot of relationships with international ninjas and American ninjas. What surprises you the most about the quote-unquote ninja culture in America? Because, you know, I'm sure there's a little bit of a culture in Europe. I've seen some gyms sprout up, but certainly in America it's exploded even within the last couple of years. Oh, it's been, it's been insane how many Ninja Warrior gyms there are in America. I'm so jealous of you guys. You guys are years ahead of us. <laughs> and, it, I mean, it's amazing. The, the gyms that are popping up right now are, are looking ridiculous. Uh, a lot of money is being funded at that. But the, the obstacles are, are changing, are growing into the next level of, of Ninja. And... When I look to Europe, I see the same happening, but it's not growing as fast as in America. But I think with a few years, we're going to have a lot more ninja gyms. Uh, when I think about the American Ninja Warrior gyms, I think uh, one part I really like about the gyms is all you Ninja Warrior athletes who compete on the show also you know, teach uh, the, the, the kids and adults um, and host small competitions and big competitions. And I really like that this is a sports, not only a TV show, but you guys are really creating and, and keep evolving this into a big sports. And this is what is going to, you know, crush the uh, obesity for sure in America and worldwide. I think that's a pretty awesome, awesome insight. And I, I really do hope that it, uh, you know, affects kids and helps them get out and get healthy. I personally find it to be a lot more fun than uh, traditional exercise. Um, maybe we can segue into that a little bit and just talk about, you know, how it's like a fun way to stay fit. I mean, if you weren't doing Ninja Perry, would you be doing something else? Would you be running on a track or a treadmill or, you know? doing push-ups um, lifting lifting the weights trying to get big like americans <laughs> oh i don't know what if i would even live without ninja warrior but um i i've been playing tennis for a while basketball football but all those sports i wanted to become a professional and they all said i was too old to be scouted so i was like you know what why not do ninja warrior it's a fun way of exercise and 
you could you could compete, you can train, you can do whatever you want, and you can increase the difficulty level of any obstacle to make it more interesting for you. And from the 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 moment I started training for Ninja Warrior, I was losing a lot of weight because uh, there was a moment in life where I was a bit depressed. I was getting bullied at school, and I didn't know what to do in my life. And when I saw Ninja Warrior on TV, I was like, you know what? This TV show is awesome. I'm going to train for this and hopefully one day compete. So while I was training, I was losing weight. I was getting more confident. I was overcoming my fears uh, by doing obstacles. Uh, I was building obstacles. And then I started you know, saving up money to travel around the world, to go to the ninja gyms, to train with you guys, to learn from the best. And what I, what I like about the, this whole thing is y- – the obstacles are for anyone at any age. You can, you know, make the obstacles small and easy, but you can also, you know, make them harder and more difficult. And, you know, seeing that, it, it makes it more interesting for everyone. Yeah, I totally agree. It's definitely, uh, it, it definitely makes it fun for everybody. And there's something that everybody can do. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Like, Obviously, when you look at the, you know, the obstacles that you see at like NNL finals, there, there's some really tough stuff there. It's like really high level obstacles. And that can be intimidating to a lot of people. Um, where do you think, you know, the appropriate place is for people to get involved? Like, you know, where, where do you start when you're trying to get in into the ninja journey, if you will? Because uh, obviously you can't walk in the gym and just start doing a salmon ladder. That is true. You definitely need to walk into the gym and look at the obstacles and see, you know, what is within your comfort zone and what is outside. And whatever is outside, you can, you know, have any classes from any Ninja Warrior at any Ninja Warrior gym to learn those basics. Uh, the, the best way for me as I started, I started doing push-ups, pull-ups, getting a good cardio by doing a lot of running. Uh, then I started building obstacles and just training a lot of grip. Grip strength is very, very important for Ninja Warrior obstacles uh, and also a little bit of balance. Um, and combining that, you can you know, start trying difficult obstacles. Uh, wasn't there uh, right now, this year, the, the Rec League introduced? Funny you should mention that we did just finish our first Rec season. Uh, the concept behind it was, you know, recreational for fun, uh, something that was meant to kind of give the uh, beginner ninjas uh, an opportunity to do competitions, but with easier obstacles and there was no risk of failing. Because, like, when you if you missed an obstacle, you just went on to the next one. I mean, I did, I th- so it couldn't have been that hard. Uh, you did well in it. You got uh, seven, seven, I mean, se- what, seven out of okay ten, right? On uneasier obstacles. <laughs> It, I think it was impressive nonetheless. I, I appreciate well, it. Well, to be honest, hearing this, it, it makes I'm really happy hearing this because everyone at any level can now compete. You can compete on the rec league. You can compete on the national, on the, on the finals. It's like anyone at any level can finally, you know, compete together. And th- this is, this is just incredible to hear this. Uh, and, they also indirectly get to experience what it is to compete, how it feels and how the obstacles are. And, you know, even if they clear the obstacles, 
then they have something to work on for the National Ninja League. And if they, you know, have a little bit of problems here and there with any obstacle, they can still do the Rec League and grow and grow and grow and then do the National Ninja League. So I want to touch on something you said there. You, you talked about, like, you know, feeling what it feels like to clear an obstacle. I feel like a lot of people that aren't involved in the sport, they, they don't understand what it feels like to get out on a course and to, you know, hit that flow of hitting obstacle after obstacle or, or having the glory of getting, you know, all the obstacles in a row and hitting that buzzer. Do you want to talk about what that feels like for the, uh, for the listeners? Oh, I'm getting adrenaline just by thinking about pushing a button. It's insane. Me, me too. It's, there's something special about, you know, going through that course and hitting that button that, like, I feel like the listeners um, might not quite understand if they haven't done it. Oh, it's, it's the best feeling in the world. Like, seriously, like, when you're doing a course with obstacles and some obstacles you fear, and when you clear that obstacle, you're like, boom, I cleared it. I thought I was going to fail it, but I did it. Or when you train for an obstacle that is so difficult and you finally – you know, get to the point where you need to do it in the one go, one try, and you clear it, you're like, finally, you know, after all this training, I finally cleared this obstacle. And when there's a time limit and you need to go, 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 and finally get to the end and push the button within the time limit, you feel like you succeeded in, in, in a way that it's, it's really, really hard to describe. You can hear it on the tone of my voice that it's, it's just the most amazing feeling to push that button and you feel like finally, you know, I've done it. What's next? You know, it's, it's amazing. So certainly you've had your fair share of chances to hit buttons all over the world. What are some of your favorite ninja memories? Just going around the world across Europe doing ninja. What are your, some, what are, what are some of your favorite memories doing that? Oh, I, I can keep on talking. So far, I competed on six Ninja Warrior shows. I started in Malaysia, then to China, Vietnam, Japan, Indonesia, and the Netherlands. Um, I think one of the buttons, what uh, was really important for me was uh, during Ninja Warrior Netherlands. You know, when I saw Ninja Warrior, that was like 2008, 2009 when I started this. And in 2017, it came to my country. Um, but I've been training ever since it came to America. So it was really important for me to perform well on my own country. Uh, so pushing the button on the qualifying round is really one that stands out. I, I even, like, got down on my knees and just, you know, like, I was almost praying to praising the whole crowd and I felt the energy from everyone, from the, from the crew, from the, the audience, from the friends and family. And I was like, you know, I was getting really emotional about this whole thing. Um, but another button to, to be pushing is the one on stage two, because going to stage three is, you know, stage three is one of my favorite stages because I, I, I train uh, stage three obstacles day in, day out. So when I get there, I'm like in my comfort zone. I can finally do what I can do. So getting to, to the last stage of, uh, of the Indonesian version where a lot of internationals got there and I got to the flying bar um, to my third jump and peeled off there because my arms were pumped out. 
but getting all the way there and seeing a lot of the, the rest get there as well and fail there, it's like, it's an incredible feeling and you're in this together and you want to clear it to get to Mount Midoriyama, but you didn't. So it's just an extra motivation. Failing is motivating to me, actually. I think it's another good topic to uh, to bring up the the failing aspect and it being motivating because I've talked with a lot of people over the years about this because essentially every time we go out on the course you're you're inevitably going to fail for the most part like if you look at a regular uh you know season qualifier NNL finals NNL finals everybody fails there's there's never been a successful stage clear everybody has gone down at one point or another and to some people, that can be extremely discouraging, knowing that at some point you're going to fail. So you know, what do you say to people that are, you know, scared of failing or scared of, you know, you, you know that end result of, you know, going down eventually? Well, to be honest, um, I think failing is the best way to learn from your mistakes. If you just, if you just clear a course, you're like, oh, but I, I cleared it, you know, that's it. Um, but probably you won't. <laughs> So the best way, like it's, it's, I say Ninja Warrior is a way of life. Why? Because when you do an obstacle and you fail it, you know, you've, you failed. And in life, you will fail as well on different things. But you need to learn from your mistakes. What did I do wrong? How can I get back up? And how can I learn from my mistakes? Um, do I need to train more? Do I need to get mentally stronger or physically you know, is my technique off? Do I need to work on different things? And it's just the way in life. You need to, to work on a lot of things in order to succeed. And that's why it's good to fail because every time you will learn something from each single competition you do. Um, and that's why I learn a lot from Ninja Warrior Netherlands through Japan, through Indonesia, every country I go to, every competition I compete on, even on the National Ninja League, I learn so much about myself, definitely on season one, two, and three. And I, I can't wait for season four. So let's, let's take a moment to jump back into the, uh, the countries that you were talking about and all the, all the experience that you have. Uh, another athlete that has a ton of experience that was just on the podcast last week is Drew Dreschel. Do you overlap with Drew a lot at these international comps? I see Drew a lot everywhere. Yeah, it's, it's pretty funny. It's like, hey, there you are again. It's like every country, almost every country I go to, I see Drew. Uh, not in every country. Um, now, Drew, Drew talked a little bit about how he's able to afford doing all these comps by like doing seminars and, you know, basically using his ninja fame for lack of a better term to kind of capitalize and, you know, afford these competitions. How does somebody like you, Perry, afford these competitions? Because no offense, like, you know, you're just not as well known as Drew yet. Uh, so how do you, how do you, you know, make your way out to all these different competitions, pay for flights to Indonesia, Japan, the U S how do you make it happen? Um, to be honest, working, um, for the past six years, I've been working in a supermarket. Um, uh, I don't like working there, but it gets me the money I need for traveling and the supermarket allowed me to travel whenever I wanted and for how long I wanted. They were really supportive about my whole ninja 
quote unquote career. Um, so I was really happy with that. And after getting the Ninja Warrior Netherlands last man standing title, um, you know, a guy called me up and said, I, I'm going to do Ninja Warrior gym. Uh, do you want to work there? Um, so that's when I uh, started working there from January 1st this year. Um, so I think, I don't know if most people know this, but I've been really working so many, so many long hours and days and, and weeks and months a year to get the money I need for these trips. It's so expensive to travel around the world, but this Ninja Warrior is, is my part of life. And I want to continue grow as an athlete, but I also want to have the internationals uh, get closer to each other so we can all be in this together. Um, so yeah, I, th I think um, one of the international competitions I, I I really enjoyed was the National Ninja League because doing that, I realized, you know, even if there are no TV shows, the National Ninja League is a competition I want to do every year because the obstacles are evolving. The competition gets better and better and more people are going at it. It's, it's insane. So it's almost a little bit sad that, you know, we have Perry here, who's one of the top ninja athletes in the world, arguably one of the best. And, uh, you know, you still have to, you know, hit that grind in order to, you know, pay for flights, pay for travel, get yourself to these competitions. While meanwhile, here in the U.S., we have, you know, I think LeBron just signed a $150 million deal. So something like that, Alex. Something around there. Yeah, somewhere around there, um, you know, to play to play basketball. What do you think it would take to get Ninja to that level where we have, you know, professional athletes doing this and, you know, you could actually, you know, dedicate yourself full time? Like, where, how do you see that happening, Perry? I think it would be amazing to have Ninja athletes being sponsored by whatever company, whatever brand. Um, so we could finally do this full time. Um, you know, like myself and a lot of people around the world, we are working really hard to, to get the money to make these to, to afford these trips, um, what would it take to get it to that level? That is an interesting question. Well, first of all, the sports is growing, but I think it needs to grow even more with you know, more live streams like we're doing right now, um, more bigger competitions around the world, um, and get the right connections for sure. The thing I don't like is a lot of TV shows for Ninja Warriors say, you can't wear logos, you can't wear this, you can't wear that. That is, you know, that is kind of hurting us because a lot of brands want to sponsor us, but they can't have their logo on the show, so they're not really interested in sponsoring us. So we really need to find a way to, to get a company or, or like a logo sponsoring the best of the best of the ninjas to represent all around the world. And it's, it's, it's a really difficult topic and, and question you're asking. Uh, it needs a lot of work, but I think that if we all combine our ninja brains together, I think we can come up with a lot of great ideas. So I certainly want to see ninjas go pro as well. And you obviously know all kinds of ninjas around the world. Who do you think would be like the first crop 
of professional ninjas? Like, who's going to sign those big contracts once we can start getting sponsors? Wow. Um, which country? Name a country. The world. We're talking globally. Well, the best the best thing is definitely the last man standings from any any country around the world. I mean, they've they've gotten the first, the fastest. That really shows something. Also, a lot of ninjas who have been traveling around the world and who have been uh, competing on those Ninja Warrior uh, competitions or TV shows, you know, who've been doing the grind like myself. Um, do you really want me to call any names? We do. We want you to yes, pick names, please, Barry. Please. Give, a, give <laughs> us, in your mind, in, in your estimation, who are the you know, top five ninjas in the world? Top five, and I have to cut that down in like all continents. This is very. This is, it's a very we're asking for a very, very difficult task. Uh, all right. That. Oh, gosh, you're putting me on the spot, you guys. And by the way, you're permanently attached to this once you once you say five names. <laughs> okay. Um, definitely from Asia. Um, Matt Redo, he's from Malaysia. He's been uh, doing very well uh, on Sasuke Vietnam. Uh, he competed on Sasuke Malaysia too. Um, and he even was in Team Asia in USA vs. the World. Um, from Australia, I would say Fred Dorton. He's, uh, he's very experienced. He competed on Ninja War UK and Australia and got really far on both TV shows. He's, he even uh, competed uh, uh, with a lot of internationals and myself in Vietnam, and results are uh, going to be aired soon. Uh, from Europe, we have to dive into Dion Trigg. He's been competing on Ninja UK, Vietnam, Austria, uh, Japan. He's been competing everywhere as well. Um, uh, oof. Did I name three guys so far? Three down, two to go. Uh, Yusuke Morimoto, he's on number one for sure. He, this guy, you all know, but for people who don't know Yusuke Morimoto, he's the Japanese, uh, in my eyes, one of the biggest grand champions of all from the Japanese Sasuke. Um, this guy is just amazing. He is insane. So that's four. Um, well, I'm not going to name myself because that would be selfish. If you think uh, you're the best in the world, I mean, you can say it. That would, that would look very stupid, but you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name myself on number five. Number five, throwing yourself in. I, I mean, I like it. I, I think you are one of the most talented ninjas in the world. Well, um, I, I could say experience for sure. Uh, talented, maybe. Uh, on, on, on different countries, I perform differently. Uh, but I hope to, for sure, what I really hope is to keep becoming a finalist on the National Ninja League. But one of my main goals for season four of the National Ninja League is get to stage three. Because so far... I've competed 
on all three seasons that have been on the National Ninja League. And in season one, I got to stage two and fell on the last obstacle. In season two, I fell on stage one on one of the balance obstacles. And in season three of the National Ninja League, I got to stage two again and fell on the second last obstacle before getting to stage three. So I really want to get to stage three. Yeah, I think it's interesting, especially as, you know, the National Ninja League is trying to help define it as a sport. Uh, Because when you think of, you know, traditional sports, at least here in the U.S., uh, you know, basketball is played the same everywhere. If you go to, you know, a pickup court, you can play the same game of basketball. Like, you you know the rules more or less. But Ninja, I feel like, is, uh, you know, slightly different. There isn't as much, you know, rules and regulation. There's a lot of interpretation for what Ninja is. Um, And kind of curious your opinion because you've been to so many comps internationally abroad you know have you seen a lot of different rules and format for ninja and if so what do you think that means for the sport i've seen a lot of different rules and format on various competitions and tv shows um even in america in, in, in american ninja warrior they've been creating these new rules where in a qualifying round, suddenly they take the top three or five females from a qualifying round or, or city finals to Las Vegas, where they've never done that before, or like taking wild cards on previous seasons uh, on, on different competitions. Uh, even um, uh, the top, let's say the top 30 go through to the next stage, but suddenly there's a new rule that says, uh, the top two female get a spot as well. So they bump out two other male competitors um, who were supposedly to go through um, because they cleared the entire course. But two female who failed that course got the top two and then they got to go through. So a lot of different rules are being you know, done on different competitions and, and TV shows. And what I think is, is important that we all ninjas should establish one basic, you know, format of rules for obstacles of Ninja Warriors so we can all have the same kind of format for competitions uh, around the world so we all understand what the basics are, just like playing basketball on a, on a court. So I want to get into a little bit of your training. Like, you obviously are a very busy guy, how do you find time to train, and how do you train, I guess? What do you like to do? Um, well, first, when I started training, I was still at school, and I uh, used all the, the things in a, in, a, in a school gym and built obstacles with that. You can see that uh, on, uh, on YouTube. I'll give you a link. Uh, it, it's really like basic stuff with ropes, with you know, using different things to create the, the, the five steps and stuff like that. It was really interesting. Uh, after that, I, I, I felt like I needed to grow exponentially instead of growing in, in, a, in a small uh, line upwards. So I started building obstacles in a forest near my home. Um, a lot of grip, upper body obstacles. That is why stage three is my favorite because that's where, I all, that's where it all started. Um, and right now I work in a Ninja Warrior gym, the first in the Netherlands, and, um, a lot of obstacles are there and now I can do all the obstacles, but I'm creating these different courses 
where you need to do a certain amount of obstacles within a certain amount of time. And then the obstacles get really, really difficult. Um, but one of the most important things is to keep growing, doing obstacles uh, individually, to keep doing obstacles in a certain course, in a certain way, to keep growing the grip strength by doing some rock climbing here and there. Uh, in Europe, we call it bouldering. I'm not sure how you call it in America. Uh, I do a lot of running to get the cardio going. Um, and for sure, traveling around the world to all the ninja gyms there are to train there. Because in every gym, there are new and different obstacles. So it's really great for you to progress like that as an athlete. So I actually want to jump back for a second. You mentioned uh, training obstacles in succession and like laying them out in a particular fashion or setting up like a course time that you have to do the obstacles in. Uh, what goes into planning that? I, I mean, I, I kind of have an idea for what I would do, uh, but for the listeners out there that might not have, you know, a clue how to lay out different courses or times and stuff. Why don't you give us an example of like a course that you might do and what you might be trying to train for when you, when you lay out this course? So the nice thing is you learn by watching. And I watch every ninja warrior on, of every country of any season. So I know everything about everything. And what keeps coming back in qualifying rounds is uh, usually the steps obstacle the first obstacle is something with the legs the second obstacle is a sliding obstacle the third is a balance obstacle the fourth is usually a trampoline jump to an upper body obstacle the fifth is an upper body one and the sixth is the warp wall so i try to you know when i go to the gym i try to plan out a certain way of obstacles that have sliding balance jumping upper body you know that kind of stuff to create the basics because when you compete as an athlete on any competition um, or any TV show, you're going to face these different obstacles. But, of course, in a different way, in, in a different route. So I think that, that is one of the things I train a lot. But on the other hand, you also need to train as diverse as possible. Because on a National Ninja League, maybe you don't start with a, a balance or, or a leg obstacle. You could also start with five upper body obstacles back to back. You never know what's going to happen on a National Ninja League, which I really, really enjoy and like. So that is why I do, I mix it up a lot. Um, actually, a few days ago, I've been writing different courses with different obstacles and, you know, what you use with legs and upper body. And I put it on different notes and I just, you know, try to pick out a note out of my, out of my bag and boom, I got a course right here. And, uh, you know, I walk by the course, create a time limit that is very tight. You really need to go, go, go. And then I just do the course and see what happens um, and, uh, and try to learn from my mistakes if I make any. And if I don't, I'm still going to be critical and find any mistakes to perfectionize myself as an athlete. So obviously you've talked a lot about uh, traveling in this podcast. You've had the opportunity to travel to a lot of different countries and as we all know it's pretty difficult to eat healthy on the road so how do you maintain eating healthy when you're traveling to these competitions it's really important to find supermarket uh close to the hotel you're staying at 
if you're, you know, out of the country. Because supermarkets usually have fruits, they have, um, they have water or like water with, like uh, in Asia, it's, it's called pokery sweat. I, I don't know how to explain this, but it gives you a lot of um, uh, magnesium in your body. Is that the word? Magnesium, guys? Are you looking for electrolytes? Is that the term? Yes, electrolytes. Yeah, I try to find drinks that have a lot of electrolytes because when you're on, um, when you're on set, you need to wait for a long time. And when you drink stuff like that, plus a lot of water, because water is the best, uh, one of the best as well, you get you know, that energy pump you need after waiting for a long time. It can be really tiring. Um, what, what's important when you go to countries like, let's say Vietnam, you cannot just eat anywhere and expect not to, you know, get, uh, get a stomach. Uh, how do you say that? Get a stomachache? Stomachache. So it's really important when you go to countries like Vietnam, you cannot eat anywhere so you don't get a, a stomachache uh, right before the competition. So you really need to eat, eat certain dishes to, uh, that are safe, if you know what I mean, if you know what I'm talking about. I usually I was I traveled to Vietnam noodles. and I know, I know what you're talking about. You, gotta, <laughs> you have to watch what you eat over there. I got, exactly. sick, when I came, I got sick when I came back because the, the last night I had street food and it was game over. Um, luckily enough, <laughs> I was back in the U.S. by the time I got sick, but whew, you, you definitely got to be careful what you eat. Well, the first time I was there, I got really sick for the entire thing. I lost a lot of weight. I, I use kilograms, by the way, so try and figure this out. Um, I was weighing 60, 63, and I lost seven kilograms. So you lost seven kilograms? Seven kilograms in Vietnam for like two weeks because so, I was eating a lot of bad stuff, which got my stomach ache the- going. The U.S. listeners, that's about 15 pounds in two weeks he, he lost. Yeah, that's it. So that uh, is why it's important to, to really understand what can you eat and what can't you eat uh, in each country. Uh, but in Indonesia, everything is so clean and very, very nice. So you definitely don't have to watch out there. But so how Vietnam. did you find out, uh, find out what you can and can't eat in Vietnam? Like, wh- wh- where was the guidebook on how to, uh, you know, eat appropriately in the different countries that you traveled to? Well, we should definitely ask someone who lives or lived in Vietnam. Uh, from my second experience in Vietnam, I did not have a stomach ache because I was eating the same thing every single day, which was uh, pasta at the restaurant of the hotel I was staying at. Uh, it was, you know, the usual breakfast, uh, rice with anything, with vegetables. Um, and on set, there was a restaurant and I was eating noodles with chicken there. Uh, um, so it seems like carbs and uh, cooked foods seem to be a good, good path. Yes, for sure. But on the other hand, um, the first time I was there, I was green you know, anything that is green and vegetable. And I seem to really had a bad turn on the stomach. So I kind of took away the, the, the veggies uh, at the restaurant on set. So I was eating noodles and chicken only. 
But in the restaurant, it was actually pretty clean. So I, I, I ate vegetables at the restaurant, yeah. Okay, so just it sounds like be careful where you're at and, you know, make sure you make smart decisions in terms of the food. Yeah, try to arrive a bit earlier before filming. So when you eat something and the day after you don't have anything, try and eat that the whole time you're there. Just <laughs> make sure you're not going to mess up. That's uh, that's one way to do it. If the if the first system is working, just keep that system the whole way. <laughs> exactly. Well, cool. Um, I mean, we're getting close to our time here, but uh, we want to talk about you know where people can you know follow you on social media and you know the different projects that you're working on that they can look out for. Um, you know, where where can people follow you on uh, on social media? So I recently started this. Um um athletes page on facebook uh to you know keep this whole ninja stuff what i'm doing which is amazing keep it keeping it separate from my personal life um so there's this you know my first and last name perry osterle uh you should, you should spell your last name because osterle is not the easiest name to uh to spell uh okay for sure um Double O S T E R L double E. Awesome. And I'm actually over on your page right now. Uh, and uh, there's a fun little thing. You can uh, rate Perry as an athlete. So if you're listening to this podcast, you should jump over there and give him a five-star review. Yeah, don't be like Chris. <laughs> I don't well, know. I, think... I just gave him an excellent review and said he was great on the NNL podcast. That sounds great. I think gave me two star or one star <laughs> really yeah um i also uh run a page it's called ninja warrior world it's on facebook as well um this is a page i've been running for a few years um keeping everyone kind of like up to date on which country is developing you know sasuke or ninja warrior or spinoff um uh, I think I should be on it more the next couple of weeks and months. So if there is any, like, you can sign up here to compete on this TV show, I will try and post it there. Um, and also, I try to promote any Ninja Warrior TV show that is that has their own page and try to um, make sure people on the Ninja Warrior world page find out about those pages as well so they can follow them as well for awesome footage of the athletes competing on the show. That's cool. So what, once uh, more, what's the name of that page? Ninja Warrior World. Awesome. And then when is the next time we are going to see you on a National Ninja League course? So, Chris, I've been thinking about this for a long time, but I'm definitely going to check out the National Ninja League uh, website to try and see what ninja gym I really want to go to to train. Um, uh, and to train with, you know, some of the American Ninja Warrior athletes uh, and also, you know, compete on a qualifier. I think I want to do a regular qualifier with all the Americans there. Um, but I also want to discuss with you, of course, to create another international uh, Ninja League qualifying round for the World Finals uh, and get as many international athletes coming there to represent the entire world. Well, I guarantee you we will definitely have another international qualifier because that's my favorite part about the NNL is the, you know, the, essentially you can compete to be the best in the world. 
um, and opening that up to the internationals, which interestingly enough, when you listed your top five in the world, uh, you didn't have a single U.S. athlete in there. It was all international competitors. So I wonder if that's kind of hinting. Do you think we're going to have an international world champion this year at NNL Finals? Well, to be honest, if I get to stage three, for sure. No, I'm just uh-huh. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the American way. You need to be a little bit cocky. No, I'm just kidding. Again. Uh, yeah, that is very American. <laughs> um, well, if I get to stage three, I could definitely get into the top three. That would be amazing. Um, but of course, it depends on what obstacles there are, for sure. But um, I think the international takes to, you know, get the same result as the Americans. Uh, I think back in season two of the NNL, uh, an international, Alexander Mars from Sweden, placed second. So I believe you, you are correct. And last year we had Olivia Vivian uh, first for the females. Exactly. So this is what I mean. Nationals are here. America has been there, you know, after Japan. Um, and you guys have a lot of you, for sure. But we internationals are so motivated by you guys that we learn from you guys. And we try to evolve and become even better than, than anyone. Um, and growing together, becoming that great, great athlete. I think a lot of internationals are going to perform even better on season four, for sure. Well, I am definitely excited to watch. Right on. Yeah, for sure. I'm looking forward to seeing what international athletes make a name for themselves in the uh, World Championships this year. Well, I want to thank Perry for for joining us today. Uh, You've been amazing. Uh, We appreciate your time. Hopefully the listeners learn something about the international scene. Thank you very much for your time and asking all these questions. I I think the National Ninja League... Uh, is evolving rapidly. I've actually been doing a little bit of statistics here and there. Um, uh, let me see this one. Stage one on the NNL had like 142 uh, finalists. Uh, NNL two, stage one, 152. And NNL three, stage one, 227. So let's get it over 300 for season four or five because it's growing exponentially looking at these things are, are, um, are you in our secret folders our secret statistics and business board meetings for the nnl how do you know these numbers yeah i, I gotta wonder because i don't even know where the season two results are <laughs> I, he's accurate he's spot on on everything I'm, ju- I'm just curious how he knows all of this well i do my homework chris duh but i have also <laughs> been doing a clearing rate and the clearing rate on the NNL one for stage one was fifty point five percent. We ballpark somewhere between thirty and fifty percent. So uh, I'm I'm curious to see where we landed. What 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 does that mean? I'm sorry, I lost you there. When designing a course, uh, we look at it and we say we think that thirty to fifty percent will clear this. Thirty to fifty percent will clear this. Well, that hasn't been the case now, has it? Uh, you, tell, you tell everybody, everybody, let them know how off we were. You were really off on the NNL 1, stage 1, 15.5% of the 142 cleared. And on stage 2, 31.8% cleared, getting to stage 3. And 100% failed on stage 3. Going to the NNL 2, stage 1... 
So it's a little increase um, by small increase, at least for small increase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's getting there. Uh, stage two, fifty five point six percent clear, and stage three, one hundred percent fail. So stage <laughs> three is getting really tough. Um, and the NNL three stage one had the twenty six point nine percent clearing rate. So there we go. We're getting closer. You're getting closer. Uh, but on stage two, very, very low, 8.2%. You guys need to work on that for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah, that was a little bit, uh, a little bit not what we expected. We just really, had a lot it was of really pumpy. We had a lot of faith in the athletes. We, we think that you guys are so strong that, uh, you know, you could handle everything we threw at you. Of course, that's totally a lie. And on stage three, it was 100% fail. So, at least right? we're consistent on stage three. <laughs> yes, but I think on the NNL season four, stage three finals, we're going to have at least one clear. I- I'd well, like that, to see it. That's an exciting prediction, and I personally would be stoked to, stoked to see it. Me too. Well, Perry, thank you for your time and your extra insight into the, our own organization. It's been much appreciated. No problem. And hopefully we will see you soon. For sure. I can promise you that. Our thanks to Perry Oosterly for being our guest on the podcast this week. We are going to take a little break from the podcast for a couple weeks to get ourselves focused in regular season mode. We're going to have some great competitions this weekend. Make sure you're tuning into the live streams, facebook.com slash National Angel League. We're also going to throw up some of the top runs from the event on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash National Ninja League. We're on Instagram as well, instagram.com slash, you guessed it, National Ninja League. And make sure that you go to our website, nationalninja.com, to listen to past episodes of the podcast. We had Jeff Britton, Drew Dreschel, Michelle Warnke, Chris and I interviewed each other. They're all great episodes. Although I am admittedly biased, but I'm sure you will enjoy them as well. So, until next time, we will see you on the National Ninja League podcast, and we hope you enjoy Season 4 of the National Ninja League.